Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, your podcast where we talk about the thing that it says in the title. Every week, I, your host, always the host, except for this week and some of the other weeks, Margaret Kiljoy, bring you a different story about different rebels and radicals and various cool people throughout history. And this week, instead of doing it myself, I thought to myself, Shannon Clay just wrote a book. And so I brought on Shannon Clay to talk about what's in the book. Hi, Shannon. How are you? Hello. I am so well. I'm so excited to be the not host host of today. (laughs) (laughs) No hosts, no math. No, no, usually hosts. Um, Yeah. Uh, Who are you? Who are you? Hello. One, I am well. Two. Uh, my name is Shannon Clay. I co-authored a book um, with three other people um, on, uh, it's called We Go Where They Go, the story of anti-racist action. Uh, and it's the story of anti-racist action, who was oh. a radical anti-racist uh, youth movement in like the late 80s through the early 2000s that kind of the the elevator pitch that I give about it is that it really was like proto-Antifa, really laid the groundwork for what Antifa when you know when that term is used correctly and actually refers to anything and it's not just being <laughs> thrown around by someone who doesn't know what they're talking about a ara anti-racist action um pretty much laid the groundwork for that uh here in north america in the u.s and canada so that was the like 30 second description of it but also we're gonna give a good like longer description of it in this podcast so yeah. that's exciting yeah also, we have Sophie, our producer, on the call. How hey. are you today, Sophie? I'm good. I have hot tea. That's good. How's Anderson? Anderson's good. She's wearing a nice, like, warm flannel and um, mm-hmm. is sleeping right now. It's her nap Anderson time. is a dog. I feel like this is worth knowing for anyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah. That was my question. Anderson's a dog, uh, but don't tell her because she doesn't think she's a dog. Yeah. Yeah, she thinks I, she's a cat or a person. She thinks she's she thinks she's a human. Okay. Nice. Yeah, and you know, she could be. We don't know. Who are we to say otherwise? Yeah. 
Yeah, and our audio is edited by Ian, and our theme music was written for the show by Unwoman, which is not a woman, but instead Unwoman, one word, U-N, woman, W-O-M-A-N. This spelling be brought, okay, so <laughs> what we're going to do today is Shannon is going to tell us the story of anti-racist action. Shannon, what's anti-racist action? Anti-racist action was a cool-ass youth movement of cool people who did cool stuff. I say youth movement. It was predominantly youth, very much like it was created by and led by youth uh, and mostly consisted of youth. But, you know, a really cool theme that I enjoyed throughout uh, learning about the history was that, you know, it takes all types. And so there were also a lot of uh, cool folks who brought in experience um, from previous periods of organizing as well. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, an anti-racist youth movement or indeed more specifically uh, an anti-fascist youth movement uh, and sort of the like relationship between slash tension between those two terms but yeah to get started um, it started in Minneapolis Minnesota is where is, is one city where the uh, name was come up with there were in fact many different cities like all throughout the Midwest uh, mm -hmm. where kind of the same thing kept happening fucking nazis kept coming to punk shows basically um like that very much is is the is the genesis of everything so in uh around like 1986 ish you have uh, all these different like skinhead scenes in these different cities skinhead is like this whole big culture at this point what might confuse people to know not just of nazis um i think a lot of time people think of skinhead as like almost a synonym for yeah. nazi even yeah totally that's the the general use that i see around yeah, or even like a more specific type of Nazi sort of, um, and this big, scary, tattooed person with no hair who goes around Sig Heiling. Mm -hmm. But in fact, that was not the case. Um, skinhead, well, that's still not exclusively the case, but so skinhead culture originally came out of like, of England. It was like a multiracial uh, youth culture just built around music. And so then it came over to the US. Uh, you had these different skinhead crews in all of these different cities like in the Midwest, the main one was the Baldies in, uh, not the main skinhead crew, but the main skinhead crew for our story. When it started in England, it wasn't, it was like multiracial, not just in a like, hey, we let in people of color, but it was like actually generated by, I think you know the, this idea better than I do, but I, I'm under the impression it was a, a culture that was created by the combination of people coming from different uh, ethnic backgrounds working in England. Is that yeah, exactly. And it's skinheads take this stuff seriously. The the lineage of all the different like genres and obscure subcultures. And, uh, you know, what I'm more familiar with is that like, oh, of course, in punk, like, oh, there's the hardcore kids and there's the oogles mm -hmm. and there's the, uh, the, you know, pop punk kids and all this stuff. Like, and it's all you look back and it's like, I don't know, they, they all like punk music. So I don't know, there were like mods and there were hard mods and there were this other thing. And but basically lots of different like youth cultures uh who liked music and it was a lot of working class kids in english neighborhoods mm -hmm. black kids from uh like jamaica and other parts of the caribbean um white kids from england uh living in the same working class neighborhoods going to shows together and finding out that they kind of like each other's music and from there kind of developing their own music that became a whole skinhead culture that really was just based on like handsome clothes you know a, a certain very specific style and shaved heads and suspenders and doc martens music and having a good time and partying really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how did it become nazi 
Sorry, this is not what I, I I feel like I'm doing this terrible thing. This is Shannon came prepared to talk about ARA, but I'm very curious about this stuff. No, it's it it is a good question and it's important and we'll see it. Basically, we will see how like it was pretty explicitly Nazis uh, or like old like white supremacist uh, political people um, mm-hmm. were kind of looking around and realizing that they were old and that they like their ideas, especially if they were like literally Nazis, uh, were not popular mm-hmm. in many ways, and that they uh, were sort of aging out of that, that they didn't have new blood coming in basically, uh, and so there were some pretty like explicit overtures of like people. Most famously, there was this guy like Tom Metzger, who was also like in the clan a little bit. And so all these worlds sort of overlap. Um, But people like Tom Metzger and others like him saying that like, well, it would be nice to have some like impressionable 18 year olds to come be Nazis for us. Mm -hmm. And Tom Metzger, I'm actually skipping ahead a bit. Like uh, he was in like the late 80s. He he, we see him in ARA, but um, or we see him in ARA. Yeah. okay, Yeah. But um, like 10 years before that, there was. The National Front was like a, a big fascist movement in the UK, um, and they recruited among skinheads and stuff like that. Um, wow. The first like big white power skinhead band was called Screwdriver, uh, and they were just like initially an apolitical skinhead rock band, and then started singing about Nazi shit uh, and kind of invented this idea of like the white power skinhead, pretty much. Okay, so now we're in the US, and there's a bunch of different apolitical or differently political skinhead crews. Yeah. So in 1986, there was a group of friends, uh, skinhead crew in Minneapolis named the Baldies. Mm -hmm. And again, just like a group of friends, they partied, that's what they did. But then, you know, they started seeing other skinheads around town and uh, asking them like, hey, what's good? You want to like hang out? Where where are you from? And then all of a sudden, how would you differentiate yourself? Like, okay, if you're the Baldies, this is their first exposure. They walk up to someone and they're like, hey, you're a skinhead. Like, cool. What's good? Do you oh, want to no, hang no, no, out? Just, I mean, like, because if they're the Baldies, well, that, that name, actually, please cut this out. I, I derailed this joke and I derailed Shannon. Uh, listeners, Margaret tried to cut out this joke. Here's the joke. Ian, plug that in right here. <laughs> well, no, just the, the fact that they're named the Baldies. How do you tell them apart from other skinheads? Like, that's like being like, we're the skinheads and we're the suspenders. Okay, sorry, Shannon. Okay. Please continue. Please continue. <laughs> no, okay, so yeah, but so they're uh, seeing other skinheads around town, basically, and uh, these skinheads are saying that like they're literally Nazis, and like that's weird mm-hmm. because the Baldies and uh, a lot of other skinhead crews like them are multiracial, uh, very like explicitly multiracial. That's like part of their deal, really. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the Baldies was started by uh, you know a few like working class white kids. This one kid who was Ojibwe, this one kid who was black, they're a multiracial crew. And then they're like literally Nazis coming to basically to like their party scene and their punk scene. And so conflict brews. And so the Baldies are, are one example. But in fact, as they like soon find out, uh, really similar things are happening in a lot of different cities. Talk to some folks in uh, Cincinnati and a similar deal there. They were, there was like a sort of one single skinhead scene uh and people had all their different like politics but um mm-hmm. and then this person i spoke to in cincinnati told me about how like it was one specific party where like a racist skinhead basically used a racial slur and so that started a fight of people beating up the nazis and then like from then on there was this conflict um chicago there were like a lot of different crews and they sort of had some different politics but then there was uh one crew uh 
started by one person in particular uh, who were bringing in racist politics. Uh, they were one of the early racist skinheads actually in the U.S. starting in like 83. Mm-hmm. And so basically what happens is that, and at first all these different scenes aren't like in touch with each other, but they're all kind of going through the same thing of like, basically what happens is essentially like low level. Like, I don't want to say super low level, like shit got very real, but low-ish level like gang wars basically. Yeah. Turf wars of people coming to shows, you know, Nazis come to a, a show and anti-racist skinheads want to kick them out, don't want them hanging out at the show, don't want them able to recruit and don't want them around really the way that you just might not want a Nazi to be around you. As a and generally, so, yeah. As a general principle. And so uh, fights are popping off. And so sort of over time that uh, just becomes, yeah, what starts is basically like rival crews um, trying to push each other out of like out of these spaces where they're hanging out and uh, doing their punk shows and stuff. They, that sort of coalesces and solidifies and, uh, the way that one Baldy put it to me was that like, uh, where once the Baldies was like a group of friends, now we had a purpose and our purpose mm-hmm. was to fight, uh, was to fight those Nazis. And so around like 87, 88, you're seeing a lot of skinheads, uh, anti-racist skinheads basically winning. Like these, these are turf wars and it's easy to like look back. And so again, I don't want to downplay it. Like people went through some, uh, through some really tough shit. And like, there was a lot of violence and a lot of trauma there that's very real, but to give, you know, a like, to look back on it, like, um, 30 plus years later, we look back and like pretty much, uh, the anti-racists end up winning over the course of like, you know, months or years, um, that basically I think just Nazis aren't very popular, (laughs) Uh, don't have many friends. Maybe they're really big, but, uh, maybe they're going up against twice as many people who aren't as big as them. And over time, really, the anti-racist skinheads managing to kick the shit out of racist skinheads and keep them out of their scenes, basically. Well, that's so how far that word has gone, is that, like, even those of us who, like, you know, I'm friends with several anti-racist skinheads, but it's still really easy to every now and then slip up and use skinhead as synonymous for Nazi. I don't know. I think that that speaks, that speaks to how far, <laughs> how far yeah. those things have become synonyms. But, yeah. And also, I, I think an interesting point of like what the anti-racist skinheads were trying to do that they, a lot of them, and maybe those who were like more sort of, exp- uh, I don't know, thoughtful about these things, spoke about like they didn't want to like give up the subculture to Nazis, basically. Right. Like they, they didn't want um, to stop being a skinhead so that then you sort of, I don't know, seed that ground to Nazis and you have this entire skinhead that then is synonymous with, with Nazism in a way that skinhead culture is not synonymous with nazism even though it, it does yeah. have that association but like how much worse it would be if it was like actually 100 percent of skinheads are are nazis and there was no sort of totally contest going on especially mm-hmm. when that was a, a larger culture like skinhead culture is a much smaller percentage of punk now than it it was then and then punk seems to be a much smaller percentage of like the overall uh subcultural milieu so yeah, no, it would have been a huge chunk to just like give up and be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you can just come freely to the skinhead shows and turn everyone into Nazis. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, fucking good on them for not letting them do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so over the course of this issue, uh, some of the skinheads were like a bit more political, maybe a bit more thoughtful. So mm-hmm. politics did range because one, because not all skinheads are uh, Nazis and two, just 
people have different politics. Probably the, the main sort of unifying thing, and this is kind of built into skinhead culture, uh, but is a very like working class outlook um, and that, you know, they tend to be working class kids um, mm-hmm. and really identify with that and have some real pride in that. That's probably the main one like consistent thing. But other than that, um, and so just to take the Baldies for an example, as one specific crew, they had, uh, you know, I, I remember reading one newspaper profile that described them as like uh, vaguely democratic socialist, you know, some people who, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, um, some people who are, who are, who seem more sort of liberal, uh, some people who are like pretty like patriotic American and like, yeah, it's cool to like beat up Nazis like my granddad did or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll take them better than a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you do have, and, and this is a real force towards the development of anti-racist action. You do have some people who are pretty committed leftists in Cincinnati. You had it, you know, it's, it's funny the, the worlds were sort of like consistent enough and in touch with each other enough that like people can still remember specific names. So I'm thinking in terms of like specific people and we don't need to get mm-hmm. into that level of detail, but you know, people talk about like, oh, this one, you know, this one anarchist kid in, in Cincinnati. And, but he was kind of funny. He wore like red army faction patches, which was a East German group. And then you did have like communist communists in Cincinnati. And then in, uh, different places and especially in Minneapolis, uh, you had some pretty committed anarchists. And so there are a variety of political tendencies going on, basically, uh, brought together by, again, it's like a youth culture having a good time and partying and the fact that they don't like Nazis. But you have people uh, within that and and maybe just sort of the, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was not inherent, but it was just going to happen with the way that um, if you end up fighting Nazis for long enough, you start to maybe think a little more broadly about racism yeah. and like, yeah, what, what other aspects of, you know, what are they talking about that I don't like? What, where do I draw the line between like fascists who are terrible and other types of racism? Um, so between that and, uh, some more political people, uh, you have kind of a more concerted push to the left over time, I think, um, in these skinhead crews. And also crucially, these skinhead crews find each other. Uh, anti-racist skinhead crews, I should say. Okay. And so I mentioned that early on, they didn't necessarily all know each other, but by like, I'll say especially like 89, by like 1989, people are really getting to know each other basically just again through like the scene. So they talk about, you know, maybe you, you go a couple towns over to see, I say a couple towns, where I'm from going a couple towns over is like, you're going from like one town of, you know, 200 people to another town of 200 people. But these people are all in the Midwest in cities that uh, are not too far apart from each other you know mm-hmm. minneapolis to chicago or something is like a six-hour drive and so maybe a band that you like is coming to chicago but isn't coming to minneapolis and so you drive down to chicago people are reading all the like same zines and stuff uh, you know just people meeting each other people traveling around telephone calls zines um all this different stuff that like basically was how the punk scene pretty much ran of these like interpersonal connections that same thing is letting uh these people who are uh specifically like anti-racist and um, committed to that, find each other, get in touch with each other. And so then what you have is all these crews coming together uh, and like officially banding together into uh, something that they called uh, the syndicate. And so the syndicate this is was- before it was ARA. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> so. What a sketchy name. What a good, like, we're, like you're clearly up to no good if you're the syndicate. I mean, like in a good way <laughs> in this case, mm. but like the syndicate, I don't mm. know. 
I think it's such a great name. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't remember specifically asking about where the name comes from, but you know what else has a really cool name is the concept of potatoes. Yeah. Which, it's a little yes. bit wordy. We should workshop that. Yes. But they uh, sponsored our show oh. and other sponsors as well. Oh. I feel like we don't need to mess with the wording. I think it just needs a jingle. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the concept, concept of, of potatoes. potatoes. <laughs> See, there it is. We did it. Hell yeah. Ads. A little a little polyphony, just two different <laughs> completely. I mean, different we're melodies. doing it. We've done we've done the ad <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we are back, and we are learning about the syndicate, which sells goods and service. No, beats up Nazis. Yeah. So you asked whether uh, at this point people are uh, ARA, Mm -hmm. and uh, I said yes and no. Anti-racist action as a name, uh, it was the Minneapolis crew, the Baldies, who came up with that. Mm -hmm. They call it ARA for short. We don't. No, no, they call it ARA because they wanted it to be an acronym. And it's not technically an acronym unless it can be pronounced as a word. And so ARA was uh, referred to as ARA and is uh, most properly understood as ARA. You you should know this. You're the author of a book about them. Um, I'm not telling the truth. Just I, I, try not, I try not to kink shame. Mm-hmm. And so like if if that acronym is what you're into, then that's cool. Um, <laughs> but... Uh-huh. Uh, no, more, more historically, I don't think I've ever heard anyone call it ARA. Yet. It is generally ARA. So if you want to sound cool and like you're in the know. You say ARA. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Okay. No, you say ARA. Mm-hmm. 
Minneapolis crew uh, came up with the name anti-racist action by like 1987. Uh, they kind of spread that name around. It was interesting how like who did and didn't take the name. Sometimes like a skinhead crew that didn't otherwise have a name would just call themselves anti-racist action. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there were um, uh, sometimes they were like closely related and over, but like overlapping of like there was a skinhead crew like the Baldies and also ARA. But indeed, the uh, whole point of the initial like coming up with the term anti-racist action uh, was to expand it outside of the skinhead culture um, and was to like sort of give an opportunity for more people to come in and maybe like other people who are in these youth scenes uh, and punk scenes, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, could join and weren't going to be in a skinhead crew, but were in anti-racist action. So the syndicate was more explicitly skinhead. Yes. So Why the didn't they call it the in... skindicate? <laughs> Maybe they did. All right. Now that, All right. yeah. I don't think anyone ever called it Aura, but I would believe if someone called it a skindicate at some point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The the naming conventions sort of sometimes got confusing. Mm-hmm. The, you know, we're, we're glossing over like a, a lot of, you know, any podcast as opposed to like years of things actually happening. The way that we tell history is by summarizing. So yeah. to s- summarize, uh, they like, at first they came up with the name ARA to like try to get it out of the skinhead scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were successful at that. But like we still like our story very much remains with like skinhead crews pretty much for now because they just were doing a lot of uh, a lot of organizing. They were the ones who came together into the syndicate, which, yes, <laughs> was explicitly skinheads. Okay. Not just anti-racists in general. Uh, and so the syndicate sort of like really overlapped with ARA anti-racist action, but they mm-hmm. were not the same thing. Okay. So then, yeah, you get kids traveling around, sort of in touch with each other, supporting each other in their respective fights against Nazis, although definitely by like, uh, the, the first syndicate meeting is like 89, probably by like 90, 91, uh, even more than in previous years, the anti-racists really have like been winning uh, and have really won a lot uh, in the Midwest against the, the racist skinhead crews. And so uh, then in like 90, 91, the the syndicate sort of starts to um i think pretty naturally like grow apart um is how it was explained to me not some like super dramatic uh you know split or schism or anything um just like yeah people yeah, grow apart with their, that. Uh, yeah. yeah with different like political tendencies uh but the ones who are uh more like explicitly leftist are so the syndicate still included you know people like anti-racist u.s patriots uh, the ones who are like more uh, explicitly leftist kind of are sticking around, sticking in touch with each other and uh, bringing ARA into what it was initially meant to be even more of bigger than just skinheads of involving all kinds of different youth in different uh, anti-racist struggles. You know, not just fighting Nazis, but also like they always talked about education and direct action. And so, you know, maybe like holding fundraiser shows or putting out zines about issues I, I remember i think there was a zine about i want to say like the aids crisis um coming out of chicago okay. i want to say um, that's cool or no i'm sorry there was a, there was a fundraiser for the aids crisis the zine was not for but yeah making things broader and so that then uh by like the let's say like 1991 for sure mm-hmm. these folks who are in uh anti-racist action are still going around fighting racists but they're starting to see they're starting to fight a new kind of racist, uh, which is clan members. Oh. Yeah. Uh, one thing. Um, I don't, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about 
racists. We want to talk about the cool people who did cool stuff. Basically, so like, you know, the the Nazi skinheads were like, you know, they were very committed uh, racists and like a serious danger and they did political organizing, Nazi skinheads did. Um, but at the same time, like, I think the 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 sort of, again, like simplest differentiation, the simplest differentiation I would do between like uh, Nazis and clan members on the other hand, for like ARA purposes, is that I kind of think of it as like, um, these Nazis were like in youth scenes and they were mm-hmm. in like punk scenes. Um, and so they were, uh, they, yeah, they were they're operating like peers, in that sort of, essentially. yeah, a little bit, exactly. Like they're, they're peers, they're, they're opposites, but peers, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, the same cities and the same scenes, uh, in the same areas. Whereas clan members, you do get a lot of like sort of, um, clans and Nazis are, are influencing each other in this period as like a general note on white supremacist history in the U S but uh, clan members are, you know, they're not coming to like punk shows yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to recruit cool kids. Okay. Um, they are instead uh, doing much more of a sort of like uh, what a traditional like liberal person might think of as like politics. They're doing a much more sort of outward facing. They're like holding rallies of like, we're going to go on okay. to, to such and such city uh, and have a, a, a public rally. And we're going to say that we're the clan and we're going to say what we believe and all of our racist nonsense. And yeah, so just again, more public facing rather than like okay. in a youth scene. So the ARS, ARA starts taking them on as well. Yeah. So ARA by this point, um, a like reasonably well-known name, again, pretty much through like these youth scenes. Um, people who, who who aren't just skinheads do know about ARA. Um, and so I think uh, I think one specific rally that was mentioned to me as like a big starting point uh, was, I want to say... April of 1990, it could have been 91, but uh, April 1990, I believe, uh, there was a Klan rally in Oxford, Ohio. And so people who were uh, in ARA, including uh, anti-racist skinheads, uh, went to this uh, rally and just had a, uh, just like massively outshowed the Klan uh-huh. um, and basically had uh, this anti-fascist rally of the the Klan tried to get together and again, talk about their racist beliefs and like have a march uh, and I remember one uh, anti-racist kid had described to me that like it was along like a railroad track. And so there were like stones on railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. And so it was a crowd of like dozens, if not hundreds of anti-racists uh, just started like picking up stones and and throwing them at Klan members and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so we we definitely keep the the militants that was in uh, early ARA for sure mm-hmm. uh, in this new context. And so Oxford was mentioned to me as a pivotal one because it was where like, so I, the syndicate, you had a lot of like skinheads who knew each other, but this person told me as Oxford as a place where uh, a lot of different ARA people uh, who weren't necessarily skinheads uh, all met each other. So there was uh, an ARA group that had started in uh, Columbus, Ohio mm-hmm. by this point, which was uh, not skinheads, just like in the punk scene. Um, I think there were people in Michigan and there was, uh, again, this like Cincinnati crew, basically a lot of different people meeting each other. And so we see, again, this sort of like intercity mode of people networking together and realizing that they have uh, similar beliefs that they militantly don't want Nazis to happen. In this case, Klan members, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> um, don't, want, don't, want, don't want fascists to happen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so from there you start what continues for like pretty much like a good 10 years, you know, 
don't worry, don't don't let that scare you. We're we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. But just to this is the establishment uh, of a pattern that will continue of anti-racist action uh, members and chapters taking on clan rallies. Okay. The the clan's model at this point was, like I said, to have public facing rallies, but they pretty much travel all over, very active in again the Midwest, going to, you know, all these different small towns that are maybe like the the seat of their like local county in some obscure corner of like Ohio or Indiana and have a clan rally. And so uh these uh anti-racist people are following them all over the place. Mm-hmm. Just trying to do a variety of different things, trying to harass the clan at, at every turn, basically. So what are they doing besides, okay, they're, they're picking up the, the ballast, which is the name for the rocks next to the railroad tracks, as far as I understand, big fuck off gravel. So they're like, you know, throwing rocks at clansmen and shit, which rules. But like, you're saying that, you know, they're, are they, they're following them around, they're doing counter-organizing, like they're, they're street fighting, they're fighting them at punk shows. Like, what are they, what are they getting up to? So with the clan rally specifically, so like I just said, you, you kept a certain like militancy for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe people were willing to like get in fistfights even or to throw rocks or to throw things. But I think it is broadening out um, at this point of, you know, it, it was not just all, again, this, this person was a skinhead uh, in an anti-racist skinhead crew, but mm-hmm. went on to uh, continue organizing with ARA for a very long time. The way that he put it was uh, that uh, by around like 1990, the way that he put it, I think, was that like some sort of as he as he learns more politically, uh, like he's learning that like the most militant thing you can do isn't like punch someone. It's bring like 10,000 people out so that they just like just the, 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 the day the demonstration is like so much not about them, for example. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just uh, bringing out counter protesters. And, you know, counter-protesters might come from all over. They, they weren't all necessarily ARA. It might be, like, anti-racist liberals. It might be, like, a church group or something showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be students. Um, but a lot of different people uh, coming out in sort of this, like, ecosystem of people counter-protesting fascists in order to, um, I think, a few different things. One, sort of make a public show and statement that, like, racism was not welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two... A lot of it was like very sort of like literal and logistical that just like if, you know, the crowd is like shouting so loud, then maybe the, the you know, person with a megaphone speaking for the Klan just like literally can't even be heard. Right. Or maybe the journalists are there and they would be taking photos of the Klan, but instead you have like a thousand people over here protesting the Klan. So maybe the news story then becomes, you know, an anti-racist protest, an anti-racist counter protest as opposed to the Klan speaking. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... So that's what they're doing specifically about the clan is that they're mostly doing this counter organizing. Is that what you're present? What you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, with the clan specifically, um, for sure, it's definitely a a counter organizing model. That was a lot of words to say. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, what I think that people should do is they should take everything that's advertised on this show and throw it at Nazis, <laughs> unless it's the gold advertiser. In which case, you should probably not buy it anyway but if you do you shouldn't throw it at the nazis <laughs> i don't understand it's like really heavy though yeah but i feel like if but if you don't succeed at the uh ultimate then you just goal, lose your gold yeah and then they get the gold and they get oh. the gold. yeah yeah which gotcha. is like you could because throw a potato is... and you know it's like it sucks that the nazi gets a potato out of it but like 
it feels like you're that still winning. Made a very, you know, that potato made a brave sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so that's that's my recommendation. Sophie, do you have any any recommendations? The concept of potatoes. It's the first time I've ever sung on air. I'm so sorry to everyone listening. It was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. I'll leave that to Margaret next time. No, no, no. If you want Sophie to sing every ad break, you should just tweet <laughs> hashtag I believe in Sophie. Here's some ads. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we are back, and we are talking about various things you can throw at Nazis, including counter-organizing instead of just approaching them violently. (laughs) You can throw pamphlets at them. Mm. And if the Nazis don't get the pamphlets, hopefully other people do. Okay. Boom. Okay pacifism is i don't know (laughs) no i don't know all right so okay okay please continue but yeah so basically i i don't want to give the the, our dear listener like sort of temporal uh, whiplash Mm -hmm. but basically like i said like that one clan rally in oxford ohio was sort of one uh that was pointed to me as a beginning Mm -hmm. and from here on out it's sort of a gradual process of growth of more and more clan rallies and airy people protesting them uh more and more often and sort of a a rhythm develops Mm -hmm. before you know it like a couple uh years in by about 1992 uh 1993 people are again like in communication with each other 
um, maybe people are traveling to clan rallies and so they're kind of traveling all over and maybe one person's from Columbus and one person's from Cincinnati and one person is from Detroit. Um, but they're going to like the same clan rallies and they're recognizing each other over time. Different towns are recognizing that they're all doing similar work mm-hmm. and they want to get together and form a more uh, formal body um, or just coordinate more formally mm-hmm. um, work that they're kind of already doing, that they're already going all over the Midwest, counter-protesting against clans. But by 93, there are like, for example, uh, some meetings held in like, I think it was like Lima, Ohio. It's like a totally random place just because it was like a reasonable midway point between Detroit and Cincinnati, like right outside of Columbus. Okay. People from like different cities coming together in order to say like, hey, we're working towards similar things and we want to support each other. And so how can we do that? So those conversations uh, blossom and people working together doing awesome work decide uh, that in 1994, uh, they're going to have a conference and they're going to call it the Midwest Anti-Fascist Conference. But don't let that confuse math because. (laughs) uh, Yes, at the math, Mm -hmm. they form a math net, Mm -hmm. uh, the Midwest (laughs) Anti-Fascist Network. But and I have still. (laughs) <laughs> math net is how i always oh, okay which is a little more okay dignified yeah all right i have still never figured out a good way to do this very much with dignity don't let that confuse you dear listener a year later it's going to be renamed to ARANET. so it technically was under a different name at first but pretty much this is the formation of anti-racist actions uh national network previously RANET. if you just spell it out it's RANET. Again, I, I, yeah, well, I wish I you could King see. Shane. I wish you could see Shannon's face as they continue <laughs> to make these suggestions. I think I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and is like, "I'm going to gatekeep today." Mm-hmm. You know, like people mm-hmm. don't identify as like, "Yeah, I'm a gatekeeper." Yeah, but, but I'm just. But you're tempted. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get you like a big halberd so you can block the gate properly. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. A R A net. A bunch of squares, square net. Yes, but uh, they come together and they hold this conference and uh, it is the foundation of what um, was technically at the time called the Midwest Anti-Fascist Network, Mm -hmm. but soon renames to the Anti-Racist Action Network. Yay! Organizers who uh, have met each other through like already doing this work through, again, maybe like zines, maybe Mm -hmm. little, you know, DIY political newspapers that people do, stuff like that who all get together and say, like, we want to coordinate our work uh, counter-protesting different fascists, for example. Uh, And very importantly, we want to build toward being proactive Mm -hmm. and not just reactive, not just uh, maybe not just like a negative politics of trying to shut down fascists. But let's, um, yeah, again, just try to build something that can be uh, proactive and they can kind of go on the offensive. And they have that conference in October 1994. Uh, They have some key points of unity that are really great and that define ARA, pretty much define the work that ARA was already doing. Let's hear him. I love a good point of unity. And with your permission, Margaret, I think because they made they made them like short and sweet enough mm-hmm. and like actually real enough and not just weird jargon mm-hmm. uh, that honestly, it was cool. I might just straight up read the points of unity right now. All right. All right. Let's do it. Like they give you a real good sense of what anti-racist action was. Number one, we go where they go. Hey, that's the name of the book. 
uh, that mm. wasn't in the points of unity, but just saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> we go where they go. Uh, whenever fascists are organizing or active in public, we're there. We don't believe in ignoring them or staying away from them. Never let the Nazis have the streets. Number two, don't rely on the cops or the courts to do our work. This doesn't mean we never go to court, but we must rely on ourselves to protect ourselves and stop the fascists. Number three, non-sectarian defense of other anti-fascists. In ARA Net, we have lots of groups and individuals. We don't agree about everything and we have a right to differ openly. But in this movement, an attack on one is an attack on us all. We stand behind each other. Number four, ARANet intends to do the hard work necessary to build a broad, strong movement against racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, discrimination against the disabled, the oldest, the youngest, and weakest of our people. We intend to win. Hell yeah. That's fucking, that rules. It does. Um, The wording, you know, minor tweaks to wording at different points. Um, So if you read a different version of those, that's also correct. But um, those were the points of unity. And that is uh, anti-racist action having evolved from uh, this thing that uh, grew out of anti-racist skinheads uh, kicking Nazi skinheads out of their scenes has continued to grow and um, sort of coalesce into this now. It would remain decentralized. It would remain, you know, not a super tight formation, Mm -hmm. but a formalized like existing network of anti-racist activists and anti-fascist activists doing awesome work at this conference in 1994. All right. Well, yeah. When we come back on Wednesday, we will learn what they did once they were formally MAFNET and then RNET after that. Yes. Uh, We can think of them as ARANET. But, (laughs) yes. And uh, uh, both of you have books. Shall we plug the books at this point, Shannon? Thank you so much. You may have heard of this book before because we've mentioned it a couple times. We Go Where They Go, The Story of Anti-Racist Action is coming soon from uh, PM Press in the U.S. Our Canadian publisher, I believe, is the University of Regina Press, uh, URP. You can order it uh, like worldwide from working class history. You know, if it, it should come out in March 2023. If you're listening to this before then, you can pre-order it and get it for even cheaper. But it's really good fucking book, to be honest. Uh, yeah. And if you've, yeah, gotten the impression that maybe this was like 45-minute explanation of six years of history, you're right. And the book goes into more detail about it and has awesome stuff. So thank you, Sophie and Margaret, for having me and for the opportunity to plug it. Um, I think it's really important history uh, that has a lot to teach us um, for fighting fascism and racism. So we go where they go. The story of anti-racist action. Yeah. Awesome. And Sophie, you have a new podcast. I do. It's called Internet Hate Machine, hosted by Bridget Todd. We examine why the internet is so horrible and why we're so desensitized to it and what we can do to make it a better place for everyone. So check that out. Internet Hate Machine, hosted by Bridget Todd. Margaret, you have a book. I have a book called We Won't Be Here Tomorrow that's about I don't know, like people feeding men to mermaids and gender stuff and crime and science fiction and giant weird creatures with too many eyes. All that stuff. It's a book of short stories. You can get it from AK Press. It is out already. So you can't get a pre-order discount because that already happened. It's over. (laughs) But you can get a regular order of it. Which is cooler in some ways because then when you order it, the book comes. Yay. What if someone is listening to this in the past? 
then I would like Whoa. to have you on as a guest to yeah. discuss <laughs> the means by which you have accomplished this. Please Thanks let me know. Uh, you can DM me. Well, if you're smart enough to figure that out, you can probably figure out how to get past my closed Twitter DMs. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you all on Wednesday. Cool. Woo! Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.